Uh, many of you have had a tremendous influence uh, on me, many of you women, and so um, thank you in a sense as a, as a spiritual son, thank you for your influence uh, towards me and, and towards many of us in this church. Uh, this morning, of course, we're, we're talking about money. Uh, Jesus has a lot to say about money. In fact, it's one of the top things that he speaks about. Sometimes it's one of the top things that we wish he didn't speak about, right? <laughs> in fact, I don't know why it is, but I always just get shafted with the money sermon. Uh, it's, it's never Rob. It's always me. Right, six months ago, it was me. And six months again, we come to this passage and Rob goes, oh, the preaching roster, Dan, you could do this. Oh, yeah, sure, no worries. Now I look at the passage. Oh, yeah, here we go again. Great. <laughs> He's full time. I'm not even full time. I don't get it. <laughs> but actually, Jesus does have a, a, a lot to say, a real lot to say about money. It's really important to hear what Jesus says about money. He says good things about money, things that are freeing for our souls, freeing for our lives. And so how about we pray to God now that uh, he would speak these life-giving words to us about wealth. Oh, dear Lord, thank you for your word that you've revealed yourself to us. Uh, we confess again, just as Rob prayed before, uh, on behalf of all of us, that we are sinners, that we do not deserve your grace or your love or your kindness, unless, but, but uh, you do give us these things. You do give us your love, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, our loving God. Thank you for your grace to us shown through Jesus. And now as we come to hear you speak through your word, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to see wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we think about money, um, at youth group recently, uh, I, uh, I did a bit of an activity. We were talking about money. We were talking about tithing. And um, I got $10 out of my pocket. And I said, who wants 10 bucks? Really dangerous question to ask a group of teenagers. Really dangerous. They start like pushing chairs out of the way and clawing to the front. Now, uh, Lacey Beck manages to make it to the front first. You'd be proud, Heather. She did a good job. She'd make a good uh, footy player. And um, she goes, all right, yeah, I'd love 10 bucks. Okay, okay here's what you've got to do. So I hold the $10 up like this, and I tell her to put her fingers just underneath like this. I say, I'm going to drop this $10, and if your reflexes are quick enough to grab it, then it's yours, all yours. All right, pretty good. Would you do it? Would you have a go? All right, pretty good game. And so I'm really mean, okay? And just as soon as I finish the instructions, I drop it and she totally misses it. Like, ha ha, this is why I got into youth ministry. <laughs> this sadistic pleasure of teasing kids. <laughs> and so I think, oh, it's a bit mean. I'll, I'll do it again. So I grab the 10 bucks again. I hold it up. And here's my problem. My problem is I tried the same trick again. <laughs> Halfway through a word, I drop the 10 bucks and she grabs it. Holds it up triumphantly. And that's how I not only lost 10 bucks, but also the respect of a group of teenagers. <laughs> now, not all bad. It was actually Ross's 10 bucks. So it <laughs> wasn't so bad. But I've got a question for you this morning, right? Who wants 50 bucks? It's okay. It's Ross's. <laughs> now, we're all very polite. That's why no one put up their hand. We're all adults. We're not teenagers. We're not going to claw to the front. But what, what would you do with 50 bucks if you just had 50 extra dollars? Right? It's pretty good. What if you had 500 extra dollars? What if you had 5G? What if you had 5 grand? What would you do with it? What immediately enters your mind? Is it, is it something like, that would actually help me get to my next paycheck. <laughs> you know, I'm actually in survival mode here. That would actually really help me out. Just an extra 50, an extra 500, even an extra five grand. That would be awesome. It just gets me out of survival mode. Or is it something like, I've had my eye on this thing in the catalogue, 
or on the internet, the little advertisements that, that always pop up and seem to somehow know what we want, right? I've had my eye on it and just that extra 50, that'd get me there. That extra 500, oh, I could really go for the upgrade. You see, we all want money, don't we? We know this. In fact, we all need money, it seems, to survive. That's why Jesus talks so much about money in the Gospels. It's because we all want it, we all need it. In fact, uh, there are all these phrases we have in the world today. Of course, money speaks, money talks, money makes what? Money makes the world go round. Yes, it's powerful. We want it, we need it. This is why Jesus talks about it. Money is the root of all evil. That's another good one. We actually will look at that today. Um, and, and it's so important that we hear what Jesus has to say about money. And perhaps you're in that season right now where it is survival mode for you. You need to hear what Jesus says about money. Perhaps you're, you're actually fairly comfortable at the moment and you're thinking about the next upgrade, the next thing to add to your life. You need to hear what Jesus says about money this morning. And here's the two things that he says. He says a warning and he says a comfort in this passage that we've just read. A warning and a comfort. Now, it's worth noting, if you're visiting us this morning, it's Mother's Day, perhaps you're a mum who very graciously has turned up to church with uh, your son or your daughter or uh, with your mum, as it were, uh, welcome this morning. We don't always talk about money at church, okay? Uh, when it comes up in the Bible, we, we talk about it because we just go through books of the Bible and sometimes it comes up and Jesus speaks about it and so we speak about it, okay? So we're not a church that's always talking about money and always wants your money, but it's very important that we hear Jesus' words on money. So let's hear him now as he gives this warning and this comfort. We'll start with the warning. Matthew chapter 6, come to verse 19. I should have a clicker around. It might be down the back there somewhere. Would you mind, uh, Nicole, just running it down if it's... Thanks, Nige. Matthew 6, verse 19. Thanks, buddy. Get your sing on. There we go. All right, so take a look. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What does Jesus warn us? He warns us, don't store up treasures on earth. Why? Because these things that we hold on to when we buy and we love are inevitably going to perish. They'll get destroyed, they'll wear out, they'll be stolen. In fact, this was, this was literally true in Jesus' day. Okay, so imagine the context into which he says these words. Uh, it's, a, it's a time where you don't have banks. Or if you do have banks, they're really dodgy, right? So you, you go up to the NAB, N-A-B, with your money, ready to invest. And you realize, in fact, that here's this guy with his camel and his little sack, right? This is the NAB. <laughs> and you realize at that point that after you've handed over all your cash, that NAB stands for not a bank. And this guy just rides off on the camel. This, this would happen, okay? So you don't trust the banks. You certainly don't. And so in Jesus' time, if you wanted to look after your possessions, save up, store up, you would have to convert them usually into uh, something like a, a fine linen or a fine garment or, or some kind of jewelry. Or, or you would keep the hard currency, say, but you would keep it somewhere secret. So you would put it in your home somewhere where it would be protected, and here's what could happen, right? If you imagine like a, a beautiful suit that you've got in your wardrobe or a beautiful dress, what happens if you leave that in the wardrobe with a friendly moth? It wears out. What happens if you've got your, your gorgeous jewellery, right? 
but you accidentally leave it somewhere damp. It rusts. This would happen in Jesus' time. Things would be left somewhere secret and safe and they would wear out or they would rust out or thieves would break in and steal. In fact, in the original Greek, the break in there is dig through because homes were made of mud brick. And so they would just get to the wall and dig through it and then grab your stuff and run away. <laughs> Nothing was actually secure. Everything would perish. Everything would wear out. Everything would, would be stolen. And that's the fate of every single one of our possessions. Think about it in the world today. Uh, who had one of those brilliant brick Nokia phones back in the 90s? Put up a hand, those ones. Now, do you ever pull out your old brick Nokia phone and think, I just can't wait for a game of Snake? I just want to send a text to someone, but only use numbers for the letters. Like, none of us do that. We've moved on. But that would have cost a fortune back in the 90s or the, the early thousands, 2000s. The new car, one day it's going to perish. The new technology, one day it's going to be obsolete. The new clothes, one day they're going to end up in an op shop or a bin. The new house. Sky and I bought a new house last year. It was so exciting. We've become enamored with this house. One day in 50 or 100 years, someone's going to own it who's not us and they're going to knock it down and think, look at this pile of rubbish. It needs to be knocked down and replaced with something new. All of our things will wear out. And this is why Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. It's just a wise investment. Everything here will wear out, break down, be stolen. So store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's a wise investment. Consider an unwise investment. Like if I were to come to you, for example, and say, hey, I want you to invest shares in my new company. We've just publicly listed. And you say, oh, what's your company do? Oh, well, we invest in this really new thing. I think it's really going to take off with the kids. It's called fidget spinners, right? It's just going to be so popular. The kids are going to love it. Now, in case you're not aware, fidget spinners were huge. You'd see them at all the shops about a year ago. <laughs> right? You'd say, there's no way I'm touching that investment not with a 60-foot barge pole. What is an unwise investment investing in this earth where everything will wear out and fade away? What's a wise investment? investing in eternity, investing in heaven, heavenly treasure. Now, the question, of course, is what are those treasures? We'll come to that. We're not going to fully answer that question this morning, but we will come to it in just a moment. But don't miss the point. These are treasures, these heavenly treasures that will not be destroyed. They are a wise investment. And so this all makes perfect sense. Jesus warns us, don't invest treasures in earth, invest treasures in heaven. You with me? There's a warning. But his warning actually goes a layer deeper as you come to the next verse. And probably so far, what I've said is obvious and pretty unarguable. This next verse really raises the stakes. Verse 21. Don't invest in earth, invest in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there you'll find your heart. Now, despite what Disney tells us, the heart is not just the, the center for emotions and, and lovey-dovey feelings, you know, follow your heart kind of thing. That's not the biblical picture of the heart. The biblical picture of the heart is it, it's, it's, in fact, the center of you, of everything to do with you, your decisions, 
your will, your choices, your character. Yes, your feelings, but also your thoughts. The heart essentially is, is everything that goes into all that you choose to do. Where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. Where your treasure goes, you will see what your life is truly about. What you long to invest in, what you long to have, reveals the center of your life. Now, um, some of you know that I'm an avid photographer. I love photography. In fact, I was just away at the Church of Christ conference over the last few days, got up and, and saw this lovely sunrise, and I just couldn't wait to get out there and photograph it. Now, I have a wife who uh, doesn't like getting up in the morning, and so she goes, oh, why would you do that? But I love it. I love going out and, and capturing these things. And I've got um, quite a lot of photography gear to make my photos look as good as possible. Let me show you one piece of my photography gear. Check this out. So this here is a Canon 7D Mark II. You can tell just by the name this thing's awesome. Mark II, yeah. And then it's got this uh, here. This is a 100 to 400 millimeter lens. Uh, it's pretty cool. It kind of goes out like a bazooka like that. Um, some people call it a dust vacuum because it gets all this dust in there. Uh, it's not so great. Uh, but the 100 to 400 millimeter lens is great for uh, capturing photos of birds. Okay, it's one of the things I love doing, wildlife and birds. Now, this lens new, just this lens, not the camera, just the lens, when it was new, it cost about $1,700. All right, photography is an expensive game. I really encourage you never to pick it up as a hobby. Um, however, I bought this for about $700 used. Okay, pretty wise investment. It's a lot better than $1,700 new. I bought it about a year ago. I was really excited, went out, took all these really great pictures. Uh, in fact, Sky and I went camping recently and took a whole lot of nice pictures with it again. Um, but recently I found out that, would you believe it, there's a virgin, version 2 of this lens, the Mark II of the 100 to 400 millimeter. I start reading all these reviews and I start looking at, at all these online shop fronts, right? It's just like window shopping but using the internet. And everyone's saying the same thing. They start saying, you know what, the version 1 of this lens, it's worth nothing now. Like it's, it's, the quality is just rubbish, despite the fact that for decades professional photographers have used this lens. <laughs> right? But because the new one's out, the old one's worth nothing. And so I start playing this game in my head because everyone's saying, oh, you need the version 2 of this lens, the Mark 2. And I start going, oh, I need the version 2 of this lens, the Mark 2, even though I've only had this for a year and I'm very, very happy with it. And so I start thinking, well, what if I sold this one? I could probably get 700 bucks. What if I sold this other lens and this other? Oh, yeah, I'd probably... And then probably I'd only have to pay another 700 bucks and I could afford the Mark II, which retails for $2,300. And you see what's actually happening for me in that moment. My attention is just ensnared with this thing. Do I need it? No. Is it going to really make my life much better? No. My, my photography is probably going to improve by about that much. Okay. Is that worth $2,300 when... I've just gotten married and just gotten a house and a mortgage and, and no, no way. And yet I went pretty fit, far down the track of how could I make this? Yeah. <laughs> you see what's actually happening in my heart, my affections and my, my decision making, what I'm being drawn to? See, my treasure, my sense of investment was just wrapped up in, in all this stuff. Now, I caught myself this time by God's grace. There have been other times where I haven't. What about for you? 
Can you empathize with my story of the camera lens, of adding something to your life that you think is just going to make me a little more secure or a little bit happier? But actually, what I'm doing is investing my treasure here on earth and my heart is really following it. It's actually revealing where my heart's at. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me rephrase. What, where your credit card statement is, that's what your life is really about. When you look at your credit card statement, where is the money going to? You know, there's a, an item in my budget with Sky that says Dan Hobbies. And I've got to be really careful with that item. I do. I really do. I'm confessing that to you. How do you feel when you look back at your credit card statement at the end of the month? You know, do you clench up a bit <laughs> and think, geez, I need to actually save a whole lot more. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to retire. Or do you, do you get this weird feeling in the pit of your stomach and you think, you know, I just can't believe that I spent that much on fill in the blank. Or if you've got you know, a partner at home and they say, hey, look at this credit card statement. You just go, I want to bury my head in the sand. I don't even want to think about this because I've got the thing now that makes me feel happy or makes me feel secure, but I don't want to know the damage. How do you feel when you look back at your credit card statement? What is your heart focused on? What is your life really about? We might say Jesus is Lord, but what does our money show? And actually, this is what Jesus then presses into for the next few verses, verse 22 to 24. And these are quite some surprising and maybe even unclear words. Take a look, verse 22. He starts talking about eyes and lamps. And if your eye is healthy, if your eye is bad and darkness and then darkness that's light and light that's darkness. And it's all really quite confusing, it would seem on the surface. But actually, these words are very easy to understand once we dig into what's happening. It says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, what's a lamp do? It brings light. It lights the way. Now, I think these were, this was written in a time when there's no electricity. Electricity is a very recent invention, of course. 1,800 years after Jesus, there's none. And so back here, very much in the dark times, there's no electricity. If it's dark outside, you need a lamp. Otherwise, effectively, you're blind. The eye is the lamp of the body. Without it, you are blind. Without a healthy eye, you cannot see and interact with the world. Now, we know this is basic science. So consider that as you read the words. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if your eye is good, if you can see okay, then your whole body will be full of light. Now, what's that mean? It means you're able to interact with the world. You can engage with life. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You're inhibited from interacting with the world. Now, I only got glasses when I was in kindergarten. Up until then, I was effectively almost legally blind. Right? That was the determination when I got my prescription. And uh, I remember uh, mum would say that every time we went to the shops, I'd be gripping onto her hand really tight. And why is that? So I was so afraid of getting lost. I, I just couldn't interact with the world because my eyes were bad. That's what Jesus is saying. If your eyes are healthy, you can interact with the world. If your eyes are bad, you can't. Now, what's that got to do with wealth? Here's what it's got to do with wealth. It all actually hinges on the word healthy. 
And there are two interpretations here of this word. In the original Greek, it's the word haplus. And there are two ways to understand it. First is this. The word haplus can mean single-minded or single-focused. Think like, like if you're healthy, your body is, is sound, right? It's kind of what it means. It's like those old um, probiotic ads, you know, with the little bouncy blue purple guys and the little bouncy red guys and the red guys are there trying to bring disease into your body and the blue guys are here and there's this seesaw and then you have the probiotics and ding the red guys are all gone and you're just full of little blue and purple guys that's my scientific understanding okay single-minded single focus sound health because it's it's one it's not competing priorities if your eye is single-minded then your body is full of life full of light If your eye is not single-minded, if it's bad, if it's divided, then your body is full of darkness. What's Jesus saying? If you have eyes only for heavenly treasure, then your body is full of light. You are living in the light of the fellowship with God. You are living the wise life. If your your eye is not single-minded, you're focusing also on earthly treasure, trying trying to accumulate here and my security is here and my happiness is here, then you are living, in fact, in darkness. Do you see? Single-minded, single focus. There's a second way to take this word as well. And if you're using the NIV translation, you'll probably see a footnote down the bottom. It says that another way to understand this word, healthy or hapless, is generous. If your eye is generous, then your body is full of light. And in fact, this same word is used elsewhere. I'll highlight it for you here. Romans 12.8. It says, let us use our gifts. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. It's a variant of that word, haplus. They translate it as generosity there. So it's the same thing. If your eye is generous. Now, this is where we come to the idea of what heavenly treasures are. There's numerous answers to this question. You go look at Matthew 25. Uh, one of the heavenly treasures there is, is joy in the Lord, both now and for eternity. Okay. Um, another is that there are rewards coming in heaven for those who let go of more now. You can go Matthew 19, go and read about that. All right, but there's one particular I want to draw our attention to here. How does Jesus end the, math, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew? What is his final thing that he says? What is it? The Great Commission. Go and make disciples. All right. What can we bring with us into heaven? Can't bring the mobile phone. Can't bring the new car or the new house. Can't bring the camera lens. That's right. Only people will join us in heaven, in eternal life, in the new heavens and the new earth. One of the heavenly treasures we can invest in is seeing people come to join us in eternity. It's investing in the gospel. It's investing in the advance of the gospel here in this world, to see our friends, our neighbours, our workmates, to see people across the coast come and join us in the kingdom of God, to see people across the world come and join us in the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't happen just automatically. It takes investment. It takes giving to a, a local church so that we are released. We have more resources to be able to go and reach more people, right? This isn't about just making sure that me and Rob get paid. This is about the gospel going forward so that more people would join us in heaven. Therefore, if you have a generous eye, 
then your body is full of light. If you have an eye that is, that is aimed towards seeing others come and join us in the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, you are investing in heavenly treasure by your generosity. So now we come to the crux of what Jesus is saying in verse 24. You cannot serve both God and money. Either you will serve money and try to accumulate here now the happiness and security that we all crave, or you will have a single-minded eye towards the kingdom of God, a generous eye towards seeing others come and join us. Do you see the difference? Now, just one point here. Perhaps the, the, um, uh, the argument we might raise is that, well, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You see that in verse 24? No one can serve two masters. We might go, well, yes, of course you can. Right? I've worked two part-time jobs before. I've worked three part-time jobs before. In fact, for me, uh, my normal life is working here as well as studying, as well as English tutoring. And so I have three masters. I have Rob, well, Jesus really, but I have Rob, my boss. Um, I have my lecturer and I have teenagers who can't write. Okay? They're my three masters. So of course you can have more than one master. Except in Jesus' time, what was a master? Not just a boss. I'm talking about a master and a slave. A master owns you. They own your whole life. They own every decision you make, everything that you do. Now you can't have two of those. You can only have one. And so Jesus says, you cannot serve as your master both wealth and God, both earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. The reality is that those who who do try to seek heavenly treasures put themselves at great risk or sorry earthly treasures put themselves at great risk in fact of destroying their relationship with God. In fact the question we must ask ourselves if our credit card statement shows that we are in fact investing mostly in earthly treasures then we need to ask am I in fact a Christian at all? Big question, huge question, but look put it this way Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 that for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving for money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money is dangerous. It's a neutral thing, but it's dangerous because it interacts with the sin within us. This is why Jesus brings us this warning. You cannot serve both God and money. But on the other hand, brothers and sisters, we are called to serve the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us while we were his enemies, while we were sinning against God, while we were making our life all about ourselves or all about people here on earth rather than about him, the God who created us. We deserve his judgment. But God in his love and kindness sent Christ to be our sacrifice, to die on the cross for us in our place, facing the judgment of the Father for us, so that we now can be his children, his friends, we can be in his kingdom. And if Jesus is our saviour, then we're also his servants. He's our Lord. This says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15. He died for all, that those who live, that is those who've been made alive in Christ, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he says that there are three kinds of conversion. Have you heard this before? The conversion of the mind, the conversion of the heart, 
the conversion of the purse, the conversion of the wallet, if you want. We cannot serve both God and money. We are called to either serve the Lord Jesus, who saved us and is our Lord, or go towards piercing ourselves with many griefs and many pangs. Heed Jesus' warning. Where is your heart? What does your heart long for? What is your heart investing in? What does it show about your relationship with the Lord Jesus? Now, as we come to answer this question, we might find a problem. Okay, we might say, um, all right, Dan, I can agree with what God's word says here, that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. I can follow that. In fact, he's my Savior and I agree, he's my Lord. And perhaps I need to repent of something. But, but yes, I want to follow him with my whole life, give him my undivided eye, my, my um, single-minded eye towards him and, and the heavenly treasure of seeing others come to know him. So I might say that and then I go, but how is this all going to work? Right, if I actually choose to, to let go of more money and more possessions, to see more come into the kingdom and, and to have God's righteousness play out in my life in a deeper way, uh, how is that all going to work? I'm already just surviving. Or I'm worried that if I let go of more, then I'm going to put myself in a really risky position. Well, this is where we need to hear Jesus' words of comfort. And this next part of the passage is really important. In fact, you're probably familiar with this from verse 25 onwards. You know, don't be anxious about your life. You've probably read this before. You've probably heard this before. Probably what you haven't noticed is this word, therefore, at the start of the verse. The reason that this passage is here is because Jesus' disciples are called to be generous and called to be single-minded with their wealth. The reason that Jesus says, don't be anxious is because he assumes his followers are going to put themselves in risky positions with their wealth. In fact, this is exactly what he called his, his disciples to do at the time of his ministry on earth. He sent them out with what? Nothing. <laughs> they needed to hear these words. They needed to hear that God was going to comfort and help them as they let go of wealth for the sake of his kingdom. So let's read this comfort from Jesus for all those who are willing to risk for the kingdom. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. We all worry about this stuff in different seasons of life. Jesus knows. In fact, um, the word worry, the word anxiety is used about eight times across Matthew's gospel, it's used six times here in this little section. You can see it. Do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about the things of survival if you're going out to serve Jesus and taking risks for the kingdom. Don't be anxious. Why? Well, firstly, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We know this. This is the, the plot of like every Hollywood movie ever, right? Oh, life's more than money. It's about love. Or it's about finding yourself. Now, they get the first part right, but not the second part. Life's about the kingdom of God. Life's about more than money. It's about more than finding food, more than finding clothing, more than finding drink. And he says, well, here's a couple of assurances how you can know that God will help you and provide for you. And you don't need to be anxious. First, he says, look at the birds. 
interesting thing to say. Look at the birds. Here's one picture of a bird that uh, I took recently. See, do you see how this is worth it, right? <laughs> I need an upgrade. Thanks, Scott. Excellent. My father-in-law will finance it. That's great. Um, here's a, yeah, so this is called a, uh, a New Holland honey eater, a gorgeous little guy. Look at the birds. Probably you've noticed birds around your home. Jesus says, look at them. Now, one thing you've probably noticed about birds is that they're not farmers. Right? They don't wear little hats. They don't go out and sow seeds and then gather crops. You've probably noticed that they're not business birds or, or business people or whatever. They don't put on little suits and then go off and commute to Sydney and work. They don't do that. God provides food for the birds. He does because he's sovereign. He actually upholds all of creation. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 that um, God upholds through Christ uh, all of creation through the word of his power. Moment by moment, he's upholding it. He's providing seed for the birds. He's providing food for the birds over and over and over. Now, this doesn't give us an excuse for laziness, right? As if to say, well, God provides for the birds and they don't have to, you know, go and work and farm and all that. And so I don't need to go and work and farm. Well, no. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul says that if... Um, if you don't work, then you won't eat. <laughs> and very famously, Martin Luther said that, yes, God provides for the birds, but he doesn't drop the food into their beaks. In fact, um, I had to sit for 20 minutes to capture this little picture of this guy. I had to sit there with my lens, just perched, looking at this one, book, one bush, just like this. 20 minutes. Do you know why? Because he was there for about one second. He looks like he'd been sitting in that pose forever, but it's just... Because the birds are flying around trying to find where the food is. We do have to work to survive. We do. But we have this assurance that as we work and as we take risks for the kingdom, God will provide for us. He will provide what we need. And if you're someone who can't work because of, of illness or whatever, you know, God may well provide through your brothers and sisters as part of the church. See, God will provide for us. That's the assurance he gives. Look at the birds. Secondly, he says, look at the flowers. Now, you might get flowers today for Mother's Day if you're a mum, and if you're lucky, look at the flowers. Now, these aren't my pictures. These were taken by a much better photographer. They're gorgeous, aren't they? When was the last time that you just pulled up and, and looked at flowers? That sounds a bit hippie, but when was the last time that you did it? In fact, the word here, consider or look at the flowers in the original Greek, means learn from. Carefully study the flowers, you know, like pull up by the side of the road and just get close and say, like, reveal your secrets to me. <laughs> Not quite. Actually, carefully study them. Look at them and learn from them. Because what do we learn? Here's what we learn. They neither toil nor spin. They don't sew. They don't make clothes. And yet they are clothed beautifully. Why? Because God has clothed them. Now, what I could do is put up a, a photo here, perhaps of a, a really handsome man in a, a really expensive, amazing suit or a really beautiful woman in a really gorgeous dress. And you might go, wow, look. But in another five or 10 years time, I might show you that same photo and you go, oh, <laughs> right? Because fashions change. Isn't that true? Right, that same suit that looks amazing today or that same dress won't be in 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, it used to be that, that frilly sleeves were in. Now a straight look is, of course, much better. It used to be that, um, well, it is currently that tanned skin is in, but it used to be that white skin 
was what it was all about. Pale skin, right? Times change. But all people everywhere of all times have found this beautiful. God clothed them. Not even Solomon, King Solomon, with all of his wealth and wisdom, could impart enough wealth or commission someone to make the most beautiful clothing that would ever match the timeless beauty of flowers. Now, let me show you another picture of these flowers. They are thrown into fire. That's what Jesus says next. Now, literally, these same beautiful flowers clothed by God, gorgeous. The next day, they're thrown into an oven to be used for kindling. Are you not of more value than flowers? Are you not of more value than birds? If God provides for the birds and he clothes the flowers, will he not also provide for you as you seek to take risks for the kingdom of God? That's Jesus' logic. It's pretty indisputable. Now, um, one of the challenges, of course, that we may face here is that, of course, life doesn't always seem to work this way. You know, perhaps uh, you're someone who at some point has chosen to be more generous, uh, to give to those in need, or you've wrapped your giving to Jesus' church, and uh, life has actually just gotten harder, right? It's like this, there's this picture here, or well, maybe not of a fire, but there's this, there's this picture here of like almost this naive view of life. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, God provides for the birds, and he provides for the flowers. Oh, he'll provide for you. You know, there's this, this idea that, well, everything's just going to be okay and I can be carefree if I take these risks. Now, that's not the case. Life, in fact, will still be hard. But come down to verse 34. We'll do the bit in the middle in a sec, but I just want to say this here. Verse 34, Therefore, Jesus says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's Jesus saying? That's actually something very helpful, very realistic. Today we'll have trouble. Even if it's taken for granted that God will provide for you, you will still face trouble. This is not the charter for a carefree life. This is actually the charter for an uncomfortable life. This is not a charter for a prosperous life. You know, like the the prosperity gospel. If you give to God, then he'll give back to you. That's not this. This is a charter for an uncomfortable, difficult life where nonetheless we can trust that God will provide for us as we step out to serve him. Jesus didn't call people to come and be comfortable. But as he calls people, he does comfort them with the assurance that God will provide. And so again, we're left with these two options. It's almost like the the single-minded eye, the earthly treasure or the heavenly treasure. Verse 32, compare the Gentiles, right? The worldly, the godless. The Gentiles seek after all these things, the things of survival and of wealth and of life. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. That's an assurance. Now, the Gentiles, in a way of speaking, they chase after. Notice that word. They chase after the things of this world. Not just have, not just earn, but chase after. It's this picture of of desperation. I need more money. I need more happiness. I need more security. But our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. And so for us, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's the same message as the passage above. That's why we have the word therefore connecting these two sections. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Seek first his kingdom, his rule in your life. Seek for him to be your king, not for wealth, not for the world, not for the self to be your king, not for your heart's desires to be your king, but for Jesus to be your king. An undivided loyalty, a single-minded eye. And seek the kingdom that is coming. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where people will join in praising Jesus and to which you can now generously contribute. Seek that kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Again, God will provide as you seek that kingdom. Notice again, it's not all things will be added to you, (laughs) but all these things, the things of life, the things of food and, and drink and survival, he will look after you as he looks after the birds and the flowers. Now, I could share with you multiple stories of how this has been true in my, old, in my own life. I'm sure that there are tons of stories in this room. Uh, you can pick up books about these stories. You can hear them. But actually, uh, my conviction this morning is it would be unhelpful to share a story with you because our temptation is we hear the story and we go, that's great for that person. That's great that they got a miracle or whatever. But I stepped out and I tried and I didn't get that. I think the more helpful thing to hear is once again, verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Life is a challenge, but we're called to step out and serve Jesus and make sacrifices for the kingdom. Take God at his word. See what he does as you step out to serve him. Trust him. Do not be anxious. You don't need to be. Who by being anxious can add another hour to their life, says Jesus. We can only take away hours from our life by being anxious. And usually at the middle of the night is where they're taken from. Don't be anxious. Trust what Jesus says. Trust the God who knows what you need and will provide for you as you step out to serve him. Now, what I want to leave you with is a vision. And this vision comes from Revelation chapter 7. Just listen to this. Consider how you respond to this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. Now these are these are saved people from unreached nations, from faraway lands, from the central coast. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. As we release more money towards Jesus' mission, the Great Commission, then we contribute towards that vision, that vision of people everywhere coming and bowing before Jesus and experiencing this kingdom along with us. Friends, family, far-flung nations joining us around the throne. And just as you hear that vision and hear that call 
to take greater risks with our wealth, to invest in heaven more than earth. How do you respond? What's happening for you? Just, just chart your response. Index it if you want. Is your response, I don't really care about that. I've got bigger things going on in life right now. If that's your response, hear Jesus' warning. You cannot serve both God and money. And for the love of money, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, many griefs. Heed Jesus' warning. Or perhaps as you hear this, you say, well, I'd prefer to keep investing here and now. Heed Jesus' warning. Or perhaps as you hear this vision, you think, I want to give more towards that. I just don't know how it's going to happen. Well, there's probably a practical conversation that you could have with a friend or, or with me or, or someone here from church to, to help you work that out. But what I want you to hear is Jesus' comfort. Any risk for the kingdom is worth it. And you can trust that God will help you and will provide for you. Hear Jesus' comfort. And if you're someone who is investing in the kingdom and is taking risks and you know you're giving generously and it's hurting and life is a bit uncomfortable, then keep heeding Jesus' warning and keep hearing Jesus' comfort. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us and so become our saviour and our Lord. God, where our hearts need to change, please change them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where some in this room need to be saved, we pray, please save. Where we need comfort, please bring it. Lord, you know exactly what we need at all times, so please give us what we need as we continue to seek and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share in communion now and just remember the gospel, the truth that Jesus is our saviour that he's shed his blood to save us and bring us into this kingdom we've just described, uh, the kingdom where we will worship Jesus forever, the one who sits on the throne, who will shelter us with his presence, where there'll be no hunger, no thirst, where the sun won't uh, strike us, there'll be no suffering, where we'll drink from springs of living water and every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. That is coming. Friends, that is coming. It's a thing more sure than death and taxes. Right? Jesus has died to bring you into this kingdom. We're going to remember that now in communion. So if the helpers now could...